Hey, it's the Weather Channel podcast. It's Monday, April 6th, 2020. A lot to talk about today. Uh, Obviously, we're all still in quarantine. I want to talk about this tragedy that happened in the Chesapeake Bay at the end of last week. It was a descendant of the Kennedy family, uh, 40-year-old Maeve McKean. You may have heard this story. Her and her eight-year-old son are presumed dead. Uh, in the Chesapeake Bay, a a really tragic story there. We're going to cover it from a news angle and from a weather angle. Also, we share some personal stories. Uh, Then we're also going to talk about this huge tropical cyclone that's going on in Vanuatu, which is an island nation a little bit northeast of Australia. They're calling it the Hurricane Michael of the South Pacific. Uh, So we're going to cover that in detail. Also, I talked with John Erdman, senior meteorologist here at the Weather Channel. We've done a lot of podcasts together. He's the man. And then we're bringing in Jan Childs, who is somebody that's really fun to work with. Hey, guys, what's going on? Hi, Jan. This is your first time on the podcast. I'm excited to have you here. It is, Ari. I've never been on any podcast before, so it really is a big first for me. I'm I'm glad to be here. Thanks. Now, you normally work from home, okay? You do a lot of the writing and the reporting from home. You're over in, what, Cocoa Beach, Florida? So how how has the, the whole quarantine been different for you? So um, honestly, not a lot has changed for me personally, because like you said, I always work from home. I'm always kind of hunkered down, holed up here in my home office. My husband is also um, home-based as well for what he does. So we we have our two teens home all the time now, of course, our two teenagers. But um, so I've been doing this for a while, the at-home thing. So I'm kind of feel validated that the rest of the world feels my pain now. Well, I'm starting to feel a little (laughs) bit like I'm a hermit because, you know, I see everybody talking about how they're they can't wait to get back out. And oh my gosh, life is so different now. And I'm kind of just sitting over here in the corner like, boy, I tell you, things aren't really all that different for me. I think I might stay in the house a little too often <laughs> these days. Like I don't go out that much. That's the same. We're kind of homebodies here too. So um, it, it's obviously it's a sacrifice for everybody and hard for everybody, but everybody's hanging in there. John Erdman, another one that works from home. He's up in Wisconsin. We're going to hit as many parts of the country as we can today. What's going on, John? Are, are you enjoying the temperatures rebounding a little bit? All right. It's great to talk to you. Yeah, it's been a big change up here. Uh, obviously, everybody's still practicing social distancing. But uh, you know, when temperatures get into the 50s and 60s in the upper Midwest, the spring fever really starts to settle in. So there were a lot of people outside getting their yards ready, doing what they could, You know, still hunkering down. Uh, so it was it was kind of a morale boost to miss all the the bad news about COVID nineteen. Good stuff. Okay, Jan, I want to get into this story. The he- a lot of the headlines with the story have been kind of like, okay, member of the Kennedy family passed away in this tragic accident. I want to kind of focus less on, okay, this happens to be a Kennedy or whatever. This was this was a uh, one of these situations where I think a lot of people can learn from it. Um, mm-hmm. Just give us the whole synopsis of what happened last Thursday. Very briefly, what happened was they were uh, men- members of the family were gathered um, at a at a family member's house on Chesapeake Bay. Kids were outside playing. You know, you can imagine it, with the coronavirus and the lockdowns and things like that, they were probably just all out there running around having a good time. A ball was kicked into the water, and a mother and son just jumped in a canoe like you might spontaneously to go out and chase the ball. The winds were gusting, I think, up around 35 miles an hour around that time, and they just got swept away before anybody really knew what was happening. Has there been like any form of investigation that's happened that they've determined for sure that weather was a factor? I mean, obviously the wind was gusting, and it appears pretty likely, but they have they officially said anything like that? They have not. Um, there were witnesses who said, you know, that it, it appeared that they had been taken out farther out into the bay by the wind. And so that's kind of what the assumption is. 
you know, the water temperature was also chilly. The the air temperature was not that warm. So you factor those things into and it, it doesn't really bode well, like for someone in that situation. Is this something you see uh, very often, John, where obviously a place like the Chesapeake Bay, it's a very big open area of water, but then you get these little coves where maybe it doesn't look all that bad and the water's not moving all that much. They're a little bit more sheltered from the wind, but you think it's possible that they just kind of got carried out either by the tide or something like that? Well, Ari, it sure seems that way. And I can, I can pass along a personal story. A couple of summers ago, and I went uh, kayaking with my family up in the Apostle Islands, which is a group of islands just off the, uh, in, in Lake Superior off northern Wisconsin. And that particular day, it was beautiful, sunny weather, but it was windy and the wind was blowing offshore. And uh, we canoed around the Apostle Islands, you know, went for a jump in the jump in the uh, chilly lake and all that and really had a good time. But there was a time where we had to canoe back, uh, kayak back and the winds were blowing offshore. And I got to tell you, I'm, I'm not very strong and I'm not an experienced kayaker. And I had my daughter with me in the kayak and, I, and it took everything I could take to just keep kayaking, to get back and get back. And I was thoroughly exhausted by the time we got, got to shore. And, and so I, I could see uh, if the winds were, you know, 30, 35 mile per hour gusts, and if they're blowing, say, out of the northwest or out of the west, blowing toward the offshore, I could see how you could become exhausted pretty quickly. Yeah, I think water in general, if there's one thing that I've learned from all of these years, like being a meteorologist and just from, you know, little personal experiences, almost like the one that you were just talking about, water is like the most dangerous thing ever. I mean, a lot of people, when you think about weather that, you know, causes a lot of problems, you think about hurricanes, you think about tornadoes, but then you look at the numbers and it's like flooding kills more people than a lot of this other stuff. And the, the problem with water is that you see kind of a, a similar situation where people want to drive through a flooded road and the water doesn't look all that bad. And then as soon as you get in, you realize, oh my gosh, this was a big mistake. And then people get swept away and people die in that situation a lot too. I guess the point I'm trying to make here is that I don't, I don't know if you look back at a situation like this and say, oh man, these guys clearly did something they shouldn't have. They should have known. A lot of these situations, it's a lot tougher to know how bad it is than it appears, right? Yeah, I think you nailed it. Now, if, if, if I was Jan living in Florida and I lived near a coast, I'd probably have more experience with days like this. But again, I, I, I'm a landlubber. I live, I live nowhere near a, a major lake. I, I'm not experienced in that. And that probably wouldn't have been top of mind. I thought, well, there's that ball out there. I'll just go quick, go get it. Not realizing that the winds are probably blowing offshore. So it's, yeah, it's these type of situations. We find the same thing, by the way, with rip currents, you know, rip currents claim at least a hundred lives a year on average in the U S and most of the deadly rip current events aren't the ones where the big waves are crashing ashore where obviously the flags are flying at the beach and they say, you can't go in the ocean. They're with these more kind of modest events where it may be sunny outside Folks like me who say didn't grow up near the coast, wander into the ocean and not knowing how to recognize a rip current or maybe not paying attention. And all of a sudden they don't know how to get out of it. So, yeah, it's these sneaky kind of benign, more benign weather situations really can catch people off guard. Yeah. And I'll share a personal experience with that, too, as far as rip currents go. Uh, I remember being a kid. Of course, I grew up in Rhode Island for the first half of my childhood. So we'd always be out at the beach. My dad was a pretty strong swimmer. I was never a big fan of getting in the water at the beach. I'm not a fan of the beach in general, all that sand, it's just like <laughs> gross, but <laughs> I know this is like, it's like a terrible thing to say around somebody who probably just like lives at the beach. But, um, but yeah, I just remember one time my dad was swimming and I was, uh, next to my mom, I was little, probably like five. And I just noticed like almost to the horizon, 
my dad was just swimming parallel to the shore at the horizon. And he was so far away. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, look how far daddy is. And she's like, oh, he probably got caught in a rip current. Um, it happens sometimes. And then he has to swim away from it parallel to the shore and then come back. And he, he ended up doing it. So I actually ended up learning about that at a younger age than most people. But that is to- totally the type of thing that unless you had an experience like that, it's really hard to tell. So the point of the story is that water is very dangerous. You know, speaking of water here, by the way, and before we before we wrap this up, actually, before I before I switch subjects, Jan, what what's the latest status on all this right now? So obviously, I think Friday you said they called off the search. They'd found the canoe, and uh, they're just more in a recovery effort now. Correct? Right. So they've been searching over the weekend. Um, they've got boats and divers out there. They've, I believe, they paused the search last night and start. They started up the search again this morning. But they are now saying that they are searching for the bodies. I mean, I, I would assume, obviously, they'd like to give the family some closure there. And, you know, going back to what you guys were saying about sort of being out on the water and things like that, I just wanted to say really quick, you know, right now, with everybody sort of being uh, home all the time and, and being on these lockdowns and things like that, at least here in Florida, we're seeing a lot more people out on the water, not necessarily at the beach because the beaches are mostly closed, but on the other waterways, the rivers, the bays, the lakes and things like that, you know, people that that maybe normally aren't out there. So I, I think it's really important for those people, even though in times when you can't really see and you don't really necessarily expect something to happen to you, it's it's really important to check all the weather conditions that you can so that you can be prepared as possible for the things that you can see coming, you know? Yeah, no, that totally makes sense. Water is very dangerous. I think that's the moral of the story here. And mm-hmm. uh, sometimes it's very sneakily dangerous. John, I want to talk about Vanuatu. Okay, if y'all have never heard of Vanuatu, it's an island nation, about 80 or so islands, somewhere in that range, a little bit northeast of Australia, a little bit west of Fiji, a little bit east, southeast of like Indonesia. I'm trying to give people just a general idea of where it is. Uh, What would be the big pop culture reference? Didn't they have the first survivor there? Yeah, I think you're right. I I forget which season Something like that. But anyway, (laughs) there is a humongous tropical cyclone. Uh, that has been hitting them for the last like 36 hours straight. And its name is Harold. And there are a lot of people saying that this is kind of like the Hurricane Michael for these guys. Let's let's expand on that a little bit, John. Why are they saying that? Well, Ari, the, the, one of the worst case scenarios in all of meteorology is a rapidly intensifying hurricane or tropical cyclone right near landfall. And unfortunately, what happened with uh, Cyclone Harold is it did just that uh, as it was approaching Vanuatu uh, over the weekend, and it went oh, it went through several stages of rapid intensification. The most incredible stage is when it was be- in between a couple of I- northern Vanuatu islands. It underwent a period of rapid intensification to Category Five status, and the, the satellite uh, loops of that, uh, which by the way we'll we'll have we'll have an article on that uh, uh, today, showing some of the amazing imagery, uh, is just just eye popping and. Uh, and, and frankly, sad. We were expecting a tropical cyclone to hit Vanuatu, but uh, I can't say we were expecting a Category Five. And so, when that happens, you know, obviously, you, you, destructive storm surge, destructive winds, and you know, you're you're, you're scared of the worst. And the, the the angle with Michael is that Michael, uh, unlike most Gulf of Mexico systems that weaken before they hit landfall, Michael actually intensified all the way up to Category Five status as it made landfall in the Florida Panhandle. No, I thought it was fascinating. Uh, Chris Vygasky from uh, Vaisala Group, which uh, operates a, a global lightning network, detected just this massive ring of lightning 
around Harold's eyewall as it was moving through Vanuatu over the last 36 hours, uh, something that only happens, according to Vygotsky, uh, a handful of times a year. Uh, so it just showed the power of this tropical cyclone. Yeah, it's very interesting situation because, you know, for most people who look at this, when, when they look at the satellite loop, you're going to notice that this is spinning in the opposite direction of a hurricane that you're normally used to, right? And technically, it's called a tropical cyclone in this part of the world, right, John? Tropical cyclone? Yeah, it's they're called cyclones. Other parts of the world in, in the Northwest Pacific, they're called typhoons, but uh, essentially it's the same thing. Yeah. The, and the point I'm trying to make to people here is whether it's called a typhoon, whether it's called a hurricane, whether it's called a tropical cyclone, it's literally the exact same thing, except they just tend to call them different things in different parts of the world. Now, you mentioned the rapid strengthening with this. I want to get into a little bit of how how we know the strength of it, okay? So- this thing came into kind of the northern part of Vanuatu, Espiritu Santo. That was the one island, kind of the biggest island on the north side of Vanuatu. Population a little over 40,000, at least from my little bit of internet searching that I've done here. There's an island south of there that has a population of 22,000. And then the isle- the third island to the south is uh, where the capital of Vanuatu is. And they've got about 40,000 people on that island. It looks like they're not taking the worst of it. They're not flying planes into this, Correct. Yeah, that's right. This part of the world, there's no uh, reconnaissance aircraft like we have with the hurricane hunters in the Atlantic Basin, and occasionally they'll they'll fly a plane in the Eastern Pacific Basin. So you're right. We have to use satellites to uh, estimate the intensity. And usually, when you see this mass, this this cleared out eye, where literally there's very few clouds in the eye and just this ring of convection around it, that's that's when you know this this thing means business. And that's what it looked like when uh, you know when we were looking at this uh, Monday morning. Do we know anything about what the impacts have been? I know this hit some areas uh, west of Vanuatu before it came in. Obviously, it strengthened a lot. And, you know, I know it, it can be a little bit tough to find out what impacts are, either John or Jan. I don't know if you've been tasked with uh, looking into this stuff at all, Jan. But I'm just I'm curious as to how bad it was on the ground. Um, I'll let John address that because I think he's he's been covering it more than I have okay. in the past couple of days and watching it more closely. <laughs> but I, I I think it is a challenge to get to get news from there, though, right? Yeah, there certainly is, and and this is a this is part of the problem when we have such a, a potentially catastrophic strike like this. Is it can take hours, sometimes it can take several days to get to get the full breadth of what happened there. But uh, about five years ago, we had another Category Five cyclone named Cyclone Pam, which uh, hammered the capital, Port Vila, and, uh, and other parts of Vanuatu, and that that certainly was a catastrophic strike there. So. I think we hope for the best, but unfortunately, with a Category 5, we're we're fearing the worst right now. So this is kind of a slow-moving storm, but when you get east of Vanuatu, I'm just kind of looking at it on the map right now as we go. It's about, I guess, six or 700 miles to the east of Vanuatu is uh, Fiji, and it looks like it might hold together at least to some degree over the next several days as it approaches Fiji. It looks like that's the case. It looks like by Wednesday local time, uh, it's going to take a swipe at, at Fiji uh, and some of the higher populated areas there. It may not be a Category 5 at that point, but it could still be at least a Category 3 intensity. And so there's still potential for destructive winds, storm surge flooding, uh, rainfall flooding, and uh, and mudslides, certainly. So they'll take a pretty hard hit too, but it depends on exactly where the eyewall tracks. If it goes a little bit Hopefully it goes a little bit south of those islands and it can spare them a bit. I've done a lot of podcasts with John before, so I know that he's fun to talk to, but this was the first one I've done with Jan and you're super natural. And like, I would love to have you on the podcast again, anytime we have any news stories, especially. Thank you so much for coming on. Awesome. Thanks. I really enjoyed it. I'd be happy to come back. All right. We'll talk to you guys soon and we'll see you back here next time.